Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech and our newest initiative, Cretech Climate. Welcome to my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where each week I talk to leaders who are focused on helping to decarbonize the real estate industry and as a result, create healthier, safer work, living experiences and address climate change. I'm so thrilled today to be joined by my good friend, Marta Shantz, Senior Vice President Greenprint Center for Building Performance at the Urban Land Institute, a big sponsor, supporter of Cretech Climate, and somebody that I learn a great deal from on this climate mission that I'm on. So Marta, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Happy to be here. So Marta, you've had such an interesting journey in your career, public sector, private sector, tech, associations, et cetera, et cetera. Could you provide our audience with a a brief overview of your career and then what you're focused on today at Greenprint? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the way I think about it, I always had some sort of connection to to buildings and sustainability, but it's been a bit of a a special path to to get to where I am today. I I graduated from MIT with an engineering degree in, in bioengineering, but I realized pretty Pretty quickly, I did not enjoy working in the lab. And when you're a bioengineer, that's kind of where you go. So I I got a minor in science policy and I I came to DC. I thought I would change the world on Capitol Hill. And after, after learning how things work, I was, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go into the administration. So I, I got a job at the Department of Energy and I thought I would be able to, to get my foot in the door on some science policy work through there. And, and I was in I was in the budget office, so I was looking at cost estimates, and I was really understanding the business side of, of the financials in the energy industry, and moved over then to the federal consulting side of the world at Booz Allen Hamilton. I was on their energy team and learned more and more about green buildings on a number of my projects there, which I find fascinating and important. When I was in college, they didn't have green buildings classes or sustainability classes. So it's, it's a field that's evolving so quickly and is so important to our industry. So after working at Booz Allen for a little bit, which is a massive consulting firm, I switched over to a boutique firm called Waypoint Energy, specifically still looking at buildings, but real estate and the utility intersection of energy efficiency and, and the business case there. And after a number of years leading their East Coast operations, I had enough connections with real estate partners that they said, Marta, we want you over at ULI. Can you lead the Greenfoot Center? And so I, I, well, it wasn't quite that easy, but, but I worked my way over to ULI and, and I'm here now where day in and day out, making the business case for green buildings to the real estate sector. And we're incredibly thankful that you are, my friend. So one of the things that I've noticed in my short journey focused on real estate and climate is that for the most part, everybody that I meet has a personal passion and a real sense of purpose around climate. 
and climate change, obviously, and ESG, sustainability. What does that mean to you? Like, why is this important to Marta Chance as a human, first and foremost? Well, first and foremost, I would say that the science is really motivational behind this one, Michael. It's so very clear. The numbers make it obvious that we've got under 10 years to, to make a real dent in, in climate change and the pace of change that we have on our globe before we have irreversible damage. And that is frightening. I have a one-year-old. I have a lot of my own life left to live. And I, I don't want to have to deal with hotter hots and colder colds. I don't want to have to deal with all of these, these risks that climate change bring. I just want to enjoy our earth. So number one, I think understanding the science and realizing how motivating that is, very compelling. At number two, though, it's just really cool. The, the amount of innovation going on, the amount of new, new advancements in the building sector, it's, it's one of those things where, man, for the longest time, buildings are just this like box that you work in and, and ignore. But then you take another look and there are so many fascinating opportunities of ways to, to improve and just make buildings like the coolest, most sustainable, innovative places. And I love that too. I, I think it's exciting. Yeah, I love the passion. And that's why I so enjoy spending time with you and your colleagues because you're so passionate about that. And I, as I said, you know, that makes a huge difference because it's a hard fight and the stakes are real. And, you know, you talk about your one year old. I got a 15 year old and a 13 year old and I'm terrified for their future of what, you know, particularly my generation is giving them the, the state of the climate and the earth. It's just, you know, irresponsible for most of us not to have been paying attention to date, but I'm glad we are now mm-hmm. and thankful for your leadership. So. The first thing, before we talked about green print, I really wanted to help, if you could help educate and inform those that are listening to this podcast or watching it as well. For me, when we had our sustainability summit in 2020 at Cretech, it was a real eye-opener for me, learning about the real estate industry's impact on climate change. I think the number is about 40% of all carbon emissions emanating from the built world. Could you break that down for the audience and explain to them how that is possible? Because most of us are going to think, oh, no, 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 it's oil, it's gas, it's manufacturing, it's auto, but it's real estate's got a huge role to play here. So could you break that down for Mm -hmm. us? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when we think about buildings, we can break it up into two halves, the the construction, the the building materials that that go into these buildings. That's kind of upfront carbon emissions, we could call it, or embodied in the building itself. And then we have operational carbon emissions. So the building, we we view as responsible for all of its emissions from the utilities that are coming into the space, from the occupants who are traveling to and from the building. And from any fossil fuels combusted on site, like natural gas or propane fuel oil. And so with all of that, it it truly does add up to 40%. That's about 11% of global emissions are that embodied or upfront from building construction and materials. 28% of global emissions are from building operations. And and there are a lot of ways to to combat that. Luckily, both on the, the environmental benefit side and on the financial benefit side. So, okay. So then let's segue into green print. And, and, you know, you've got, I believe that the stated goals are that we've got to curb emissions 50% by 2030 mm-hmm. and we've got to get carbon neutral by 2050, right? Yep. Carbon neutral operations. Exactly. How are we going to do that? And what is ULI's green print center doing to help us get there? So the way we're going to get there, we, we've got a pathway to zero that we We've developed it at ULI to, to outline that, that pathway. And 
So first and foremost, I'll, I'll walk you through it. First is energy efficiency. We need our buildings to be high performance, energy efficient, smart buildings so that they can just reduce their demand. The, the fewer amount of energy you use, the fewer carbon emissions that you will emit during operations. That one's pretty, pretty clear and simple. Also proven relatively easy. Secondly, then we start thinking about electrifying buildings because when we need to reduce our carbon emissions, electricity can be green energy, renewable solar, wind, et cetera. There's no real renewable green energy for natural gas. So it, buildings have to be all electric. And that means constructing new buildings to be all electric and retrofitting existing buildings to be all electric. That also starts thinking about grid interactivity. And so we need to think about how electric vehicle infrastructure fits in with our buildings, how battery storage fits in with our buildings, how we communicate with the utility grid, with demand response and other types of supply and demand efficiencies. And so that plays in as well when we think about reducing our emissions and reaching those goals. Uh, and then we get to the traditionally more fun side of things, which is renewable energy. Like everyone loves a, a you know pretty solar panel on their roof or being able to procure wind power through your utility to have green power. And and renewables are critical, whether they're on-site or off-site. We've got to have that 100% carbon-free power to power the buildings and, and help reach those goals. Now, that's all on the operation side. Right. And so then we start looking at the the embodied carbon side, that upfront carbon, and we need to start reducing the the carbon emissions of the materials. There are ways to benchmark and track and, and procure and spec low-carbon materials for your buildings. Uh, that also just means reusing and redeveloping buildings instead of building new, being smart about materials in that way, and just reducing waste as much as possible because those those emissions are just wasted. That is why they call it waste. So right. the, there are those two those two pieces, and the last piece, which which touches on both of those, is tenants. Mm-hmm. And so our tenants in buildings from the real estate sector it can be a challenge because. Tenants do what they want and sustainability is not their day job for the most part, right? They are doing whatever their company's corporate mission is. They're doing their work. And and so getting tenants and occupants of buildings, whether it's multifamily or or retail or office or industrial or otherwise, getting them to be thoughtful about sustainable behaviors and, uh, and sustainable practices is not easy. Uh, but is very important when you think about whole building sustainability and whole building carbon reductions. So it's a lot of pieces there. It's a lot of pieces, but I love the way that you made it really sort of clear and you broke it down for, you know, what I keep saying is sort of climate tech for dummies like me. (laughs) Just, you know, I, I didn't go to MIT. I didn't even go to college and I'm barely keeping up with the vernacular. So the way that you so beautifully articulated it, I get it. I see it. Okay. So then we segue into, so tell me about what is Greenprint Center mm. doing yes. to try and help this happen? So the Greenprint Center at ULI, we're half research arm and half community of practice. And we've got almost upwards of 50 commercial real estate owners, investors, and developers from across the globe who are committed to these goals that you mentioned. And they are, a lot of them are the vanguard of, of the industry. Like They know what to do. They've been succeeding for for years, if not decades, on ESG and sustainability. And and they share. They share their best practices. They help their peers in, in the green print community of practice who are maybe just getting started or who have questions on 
on what to do next after they do the, the lowest hanging fruit opportunities. And so this community really works together within its walls to collaborate on sustainability, which is honestly so refreshing in a yeah. real estate industry that is so traditionally competitive and, and cutthroat. Uh, having folks collaborate on sustainability is important. <laughs> honestly, when you think about it, Michael, <laughs> sustainability isn't really something that you, you can have one winner in. Right. Like everyone wins, right. everyone loses on yeah. climate. And so I, I really like that folks are working together to advance that knowledge. And then because we have that research arm, we're able to take those best practices and success stories and translate them into reports and guidance and toolkits yep. for the broader real estate industry. So we're putting out a handful of reports every year. Wonderful. One of them in particular that I'd love to mention is called the, the Blueprint, the ULI Blueprint for Green Real Estate, which really is a soup to nuts resource on how real estate can get started on ESG from the basics of like goal setting and, and benchmarking usage all the way through net zero and biodiversity and resilience and just the the top of the top type of topics to work on. Yeah. And so we're really excited about about the blueprint as a way for for any real estate company to to understand their their process for for getting started on sustainability. And I think that also, Marta, that's a, it's a wonderful content. I mean, your content is extraordinary that you and your colleagues are producing. I think it's also the sort of like the DNA of ULI, which is very collaborative, very mm. inclusive, and extremely thoughtful. The area that I, I get concerned about, and if you could help walk me through this concern, is so you've got those 50 companies, right? Mm-hmm. We know a lot of them, right? In my yeah. world, We've got great leadership at Cretech Climate from Oxford Properties and RxR and Savills and many, many others. And I read about others that are making their commitments public. But at some point, right, with all that's in the news, don't you worry about so many companies just sort of greenwashing their way through this? How do we measure this and make sure that, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to keep people accountable. That's not my job, but we, we as a society have to. And how do we do that? Well, honestly, society is starting, starting it for us. And so companies who are tracking and quantifying their, their ESG and sustainability climate efforts are very much ahead on this. No longer can, can you just respond to an investor RFP and say, we are sustainable. Right. Like you, you can't do that. You've got to really show the receipts. You have to show the quantifiable numbers on energy performance improvements, renewable energy procurement, technology investment. Um, tenant engagement, embodied carbon and, and waste reduction strategies, all of those elements, not only are investors looking for that, but also occupants and tenants are looking for that. Also, cities are looking for that yeah. when when developers or, or owners go to procure or put a bid on a, on a plot of land to develop, the more transparent and sustainable a, a real estate firm is, the more embraced they are by the local community. And that's the city government as well as local community groups. I mean, across the board, everyone wants to see the receipts. Yeah. And so it's just critical that that benchmarking and and keeping track of, of goals and just being utterly transparent about progress and in actions are are how to not necessarily combat greenwashing because I I don't know if that will ever go away. But just to be true about what you're doing, I, I think that's right. what's most important, just that transparency. Well, it's encouraging to hear you talk about the society at large, whether it's tenants, governments, 
banks, mm-hmm. rating agencies, consumers, holding people and companies accountable. Because I'm already starting to see it. And you're reading about some of it in the financial sector. And there's some pushback. And I think that's healthy and needed. The other thought that I just wanted to get some insights from you on. So, you know, you talk about these companies that are committing to climate technology, sustainability, ESG, but you and I both know the, the majority of the real estate industry are not the biggest companies, do not control the amount of square foot that the, you know, 80% of the industry is really controlled by smaller regional companies that don't have the infrastructure, don't have the mm-hmm. resources, the personnel. How can a company that, say, owns a few office buildings in Nashville or Charlotte or, you know, Dallas or wherever, how can they get involved and say, listen, I don't have the resources, but I'd like to do something. What do you tell them? How do they get started? So for those kind of smaller scale owners and developers, there are a lot of opportunities that are predefined that they can go after without having to reinvent the wheel. So for example, green building certifications, those are structured, defined, incentivized by the city often as well. And and if you go for a green building certification and, and achieve it to, to certain levels, you can be confident that you are doing your part on ESG and sustainability. And that will prove out in asset valuation, in rental rates, in lease up timing, the numbers are proven. So there's that. Just going after those certifications to have, have those plaques and have that proof. Third-party validation. On the other side, I mentioned incentives from the city, but there are also utility incentives mm-hmm. that are incredibly helpful mm-hmm. in, in making the, the financials pencil out for those smaller scale owners and developers who may not have the upfront investment to make those big changes or make those big improvements. So utility rebates and incentives for energy efficiency programs. There's also programs called CPACE, which is Property Assessed Clean Energy Financing to help encourage upfront spending that, that pays off the balance sheets over time. So there are a lot of creative ways that financing locally and local utility and city incentives can help those smaller scale owners and developers still achieve that progress and success on ESG. Great. That's really, really helpful and important. And I'm sure you're going to get a ton of emails for that information (laughs) after the podcast. I just want to unpack one thread of comments that you said about Mm -hmm. it's proven to outperform, right? Yeah. That is something else that I think is really important for our industry and our audience to understand. Could you talk about what a healthy building does in terms of performance in the marketplace? Yes, absolutely. So a sustainable, healthy, green building, not only does it save energy usage, which translates to lowered utility expenses. I think those those direct financial benefits are, are pretty proven and pretty clear. Additionally, there are indirect or what's called non-energy benefits that are regularly seen in these assets. And that is higher occupant productivity. That is fewer occupant sick days. That is higher occupant retention for for staff. That is higher uh, lease renewal rates. That is higher rental rates. That is, let's see, I think those are pretty good off the top of my head. That's pretty (laughs) compelling. Yeah, I I don't have the specific numbers memorized, but they're, um, they're clear. Yeah, yeah, that's terrific. You know, so when we think about, okay, we don't have much time. We've got 10 years until it's doomsday. I believe in the science. You believe in the science. You've proven the science to be right. Walk me through what you think this is going to look like in our industry. Are you confident that we're going to get engaged and start investing in climate tech based on what you've seen with your supporters of Greenprint? Absolutely. 
and I think the, the pressure is going to come from two, two directions in the next five to 10 years. The first direction is local government regulations. We're, we're starting to see this globally, not, not even just in the States. New York City's Local Law 97, um, LA's Green New Deal, I think is going to be quite strong. France and, and Germany is starting a carbon tax. I mean, there, there's a lot going on on the regulation side, and that is going to fast track real estate action on sustainability because no one wants fines and everyone wants to look good compared to their competitors and for, for their prospective tenants and, and lessees. So that is one, one driver where I expect to see a lot more regulation and, and policy implementation on this that will very much motivate the industry. And honestly, I think it's going to be a lot more carrots than sticks and, um, and we're just going to work with that. I, I mean, we'll, we'll do the best we can. Luckily, there is a business case behind it. So it's mm-hmm. not just a, a carrot stick situation. It's, you know, there's just inherent benefit, which helps on the other side of things. Yeah. It is. Tell it like it is. Michael, the youth, the youth, the youth movement that. is going to expire. Yes. We've got folks coming out of, out of high school and college who are so passionate. They make me look like a grandma. Like they, they're just Gosh, what does that make me? I mean, like I'm (laughs) Rip Grand Winkle then if you're (laughs) going to come on. (laughs) They, I mean, they are so, so motivated. They're also so creative Mm. and they don't give up. Like they don't take no for an answer and they will, I think over the next five to 10 years, make a huge impact in terms of their, their voice and how compelling they can be to affect change. I'm so with you, Marta, because when I first really started to look at the issue and and understand how other countries in the world really started to embrace sustainability, climate tech, it was these younger kids that took to the streets that they were not silent. They were very active and they made their voices heard. They were seen and they inspire me. Every day, I mean, at Cretech and Cretech Climate, we're getting all of these inbounds from these undergrads, these grads, they're passionate about it. And I'm hopeful in that regard as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just finally, we've got this massive industry. I think it's the biggest industry on earth as measured by global GDP. We know it's, you know, it's outsized role, therefore, in climate change. You're doing wonderful work on, on the education front and you're showing the way, right? I hate to put you on the spot, but I will. Are there a couple of companies or buildings that you look at and say, go look at that? You want proof? Mm. You want to see it? Go there. That our audience could then just go look at and say, I want to copy that. I want to emulate that. That's what I aspire to be. Yes, there there are some real standout buildings. I'm mean, globally and and here domestically in the states where we are. Hmm, I would say company wise, I'll, I'll start with company specific because I um, there are some folks who are really just looking at this at a portfolio level in a very impressive way. Skanska is one of those companies. They are a developer and they they have an innovation department that's really strong on tech and, and thinking about that. They have a, a very strong sustainability group that's pushing toward net zero both on the operations and the, I think they're looking strongly at embodied carbon as well, which is so impressive. And they, all the while, they still have to make this pencil for their developments because they build and sell. They, they don't hold. And so with that business model, they have, they have to prove it. They can't just do it because they think it's good and they right. think it'll pay out over the long term. So Skanska is crushing it. Great. Absolutely crushing Great. it. On the, the smaller scale, I would say Kilroy Realty Corporation yep. is also 
Um, just absolutely. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Doing a, a great job on that front. They're at a REIT on, on the West Coast. They've got a, maybe a hundred buildings or so mm-hmm. that they develop and own. And they, they were the first real estate company, I believe, to set a net zero carbon operations goal. They set it for 2020 and they met it. Mm-hmm. And that is just such leadership. And to, to do that, they, they worked hard on, on energy efficiency. They have an in-house innovation lab where they test out interesting technologies to pilot before rolling out portfolio-wide. They, they look at sustainability very holistically across the E, the S, and the G of, mm-hmm. of, of corporate responsibility. And they're very yeah. impressive. Totally agree. So those, those would are be, great ones. I, I, no, could, I could keep going and I going, know. but and I'll, the I'll stop with you. I'll lob in, you know, RXR, Oxford, Jamestown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hudson Pacific. Yeah. EQ office, EQR. Yeah. And the reason why I put you on the spot like that, my friend, is, just, you know, we're, we're unscripted. We're just having a conversation because you know, that's how the real estate industry works. When they can emulate leaders, the industry typically will follow. And so the more that we could say, Hey, this is just not theory. You know, this is just not, you know, wishful thinking. It's happening. Mm-hmm. And the leading companies in the world are getting behind this. I just think it helps us, you know, move things along with a greater sense of urgency. We could say, all right, go look at Skanska, go look at the website, yeah. go, you know, Boston Properties. They just published mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. goals, their commitments. Go look. Yes. So yes. anyway, hey, my friend Marta, thank you so much for your support of Cretech Climate, for your personal commitment to these important issues of climate change, sustainability, ESG, for all the wonderful work that ULI's Green Print is doing. You're making a huge difference. And I hope that people will follow you as I do and, and learn and get inspired by all the work that you're doing. So thank you, my friend, for some time today. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Glad to be here and really excited about what Cretech Climate is doing. I, I think it's so important that we are getting more discussions about investing in, in prop tech specifically for climate in the real estate space. Just such an opportunity. I love that. Thank you, my friend. Be well, okay? All right. And I, I have hope for the one-year-old that when she turns 11, she's going to inherit this world that's going to be a lot cleaner and safer as a result of the work that you and your colleagues are doing. So I'm I mean, we've got to have hope, Michael. If, <laughs> I know. It's a global movement. We've got to act fast. We've okay. got to be serious. Now's the time. All right, because you know I get discouraged when I look at the enormity of the problem and this industry. We got to move, which is not an industry that moves collectively and fast. But you give me hope, and I will continue just to listen to that to that voice. So thank Same you, Marta. On. Okay, All thanks, right. my friend. Be well. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe. Join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.